0: On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you, and they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash roadie. That's betterhelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. On scene at 2213 Gordon Road. I a full You gotta find a way to not really forget the memories, but know how to deal with them. On the trolley side, just a little bit of fire on like a path. They clear a path. I say, holy cow, they made a path for us. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and on today's episode, I have a returning guest. Uh, You'll remember paramedic Alexis from Season 4, Episode 1, and she told the story called Two Floors Up, uh, which was just a a devastating story and uh, just one that I am so sorry that in her short time as a paramedic that she had to deal with. But you'll also remember that Alexis has been a paramedic for about a year now, uh, and she's back to share another story with us, and unfortunately, it's going to be another doozy, but I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're willing to share this story with our listeners. I'll turn the mic over to you, Alexis, and let you share your story from the road.
1: Phil, I appreciate you having me back. Um, the first one was a doozy, but this one, it's gonna it's got a better ending. So everyone buckle in. It's not that bad as the first one. The call happened last year. Dude, it was around March or April. I can't remember the exact date, but around that time. Um, and this time in Louisiana, it's a really rainy season. And this was back when I was working in a rural system in a small town. So we usually got pulled to go post in other areas because we don't move around too much there's another agency that has priority over the 911 calls. So around 2100, we got dispatched for a wreck with the car versus light pole and encoded out as an Alpha Bravo, which it's not weird in that area. It's a 35 mile per hour speed limit at that stretch of the main road in this small town. And we were about eight minutes out, but we kind of just made our way over as we're both saying, you know, it's we're not going to sweat this one. There's probably no trauma, no worries which should have been the first red flag.
0: So you guys are thinking this is a, uh, you know, not a very fast area, cars probably aren't traveling at a high rate of speed, so getting an auto accident in this area really isn't going to involve a whole lot of trauma. You're probably not cutting anybody out of a car. Should be a pretty simple job.
1: Exactly. Like maybe fender bender. And again, alpha bravo low level priority, probably nothing too crazy.
0: Is that what alpha bravo means in your system?
1: Yeah, the Alpha Bravos, they're low-level. Charlie Delta, those are the ones you can really start sweating. Echo is, their deceased. But we started getting closer down the stretch of this main road, and all we could see were police lights, like, bouncing off the underpass. The Volunteer Fire Department was even there, which was odd because they never respond to lower-level calls, and there was a little bit of smoke, but we couldn't even see any cars involved in the actual wreck. But as we were driving up, we see that the light pole near the scene was bent. So as we see the bent light pole, my partner turned to me and he's like, man, I got a bad feeling. I'm calling for a second unit. And we had one that was posted like 10-ish minutes out, which was very weird in our area because we're usually the ones posting. So we get on scene, we jump out, still can't see a single thing. We have no clue what's going on, but we're hearing what sounds like hydraulics. And it's like that crushing of metal, the popping of the car door, and it sounded like an extrication. And we actually found out later on that this call was rolled from another agency because they wouldn't have a unit there in time. And ours was closer, but there was that miscommunication error and the call was dispatched as the lower level priority. So by the the time we got there, the fire department had been extricating for a while.
0: Tell me a little bit about the unit that you're on right now? Because if you're in Louisiana, if I remember correctly, you're still an EMT at this point or had you gotten your medic certification yet?
1: I was still an EMT at this time. It's me and we're stacked EMT basics and medics. So it's just the two of us. We have the unit that we had called for and they're the ones that are posted kind of around the area. And again, it's very rural. Um, We just post around midpoints between Busy stations, pretty much. We're also in a vambulance, so not in a box in this kind of smaller transporting vehicle.
0: So you weren't calling for ALS assistance because you had a medic with you. You were just calling for a second ambulance to have another set of hands, another crew to help you.
1: Yeah, just because like, even though it was Alpha Bravo level, seeing that bent light pole, seeing all the cars kind of triggered like that, hey, something really bad's going on. Got it. So we're heading over to the crowd of police cars, fire truck, some random bystanders who pulled over because they always do. And as we're walking it over to the sea of chaos, the volunteer fire department, like they burst through this crowd and we can't hear anything besides, hey, it's the medics move over. And they've got this spine board and it's got a body on it and do this body. It, it was horrendous. Um, this guy's he looked about mid 30s from what we could see, so fairly young, but he had blood pouring out of his head. His arms are just flopping off the sides of the spine board. He's got open fractures from just what we can see from the get go. So at this point, we're both blindsided, me, my partner and I, and we're grabbing the board. We're trying to get a handoff, and we basically learned that the wreck that happened was a hit and run. This driver was getting off the ramp from the interstate and was driving way too fast on the slick road he couldn't stop at the red light but he clipped our patient's vehicle at the right speed the right portion of his bumper like all the right things quote unquote to create this disaster
0: so it sounds like he, he sounds like with the clipping accident he spun him is that right
1: yeah he basically he was spun around he was t-boned by another driver And was being pushed toward the light pole where, in some of the confusion of getting hit at all these angles, you know, him also being blindsided by all this, he'd hit the gas and that's where he wrapped himself around the light pole. And like, we didn't even realize there was another patient. So thank God we had called for that second unit for our patient. And they're about seven minutes out from when we first called them. But now we're calling for the third unit for this other patient. And they're a solid 15-ish minutes out. So we got our patient loaded into the ambulance. My partner's looking for a line. I'm working on controlling the bleeding. And the second unit got there. So that medic jumped in with my medic partner. And the other EMT had just finished paramedic school. I'm still a basic. So I just yelled to my partner like, hey, man, I'm going to go get a name, take pictures of the car, check on the other patient. Because they're trying to decide if they even want to fly the guy out since like we're too far from any good trauma center. And the only thing close by is basically a Band-Aid station that could not handle this type of patient.
0: So let me stop you for one second because you said something that was interesting. You said you were going to take pictures of the car. And I know what you were doing, but can you explain why you were doing that?
1: Oh, yeah. So even though during the handoff report at the ER, we're able to tell like what was going on, um, give the handoff report of what happened, this, that, and the other, it's very helpful to have those pictures of the vehicle and the wreck. So that way, if anything's not relayed properly, the the trauma doctors and the ER docs, they'll be able to see it and understand the mechanism of injury, understand the types of injuries they're going to be looking for, all of the things that could be missed along the way. Because the doctors aren't there on scene. We are.
0: And something really interesting about these rotational accidents is that you know, when you hit somebody head on, you expect the injuries to be to the front of the body, they hit the steering wheel, they hit the windshield, or they go under the dashboard, broken legs, that sort of thing. But when a car rotates, when it gets hit on, you know, a quarter panel or a fender at a high rate of speed and then starts to spin. You really don't have a very clear line of where those injuries are going to be, so you may have the impact from where the car initially was hit, and then it spins, it hits something else, and then it continues to spin, and hits something, and that driver, especially if they're not, not belted in, is getting thrown all around that car, creating a slew of injuries. So it makes a lot of sense to me that you would take a picture of the car. I know somebody listening might be like, well, are you going to put that on social media? Why are you taking pictures of it? Uh, but it does make some, make a lot of sense to take the pictures of the car so that the emergency room uh, physician and staff will know exactly what you saw at the scene, and it helps them determine where they should be looking for injuries. With this one, they probably should just be looking everywhere because of the type of injury that it is, but at least it shows the amount of damage to the car, and that translates sometimes to the amount of damage to the patient.
1: Correct. So that, that was the whole point of getting the pictures of the car. Not for me, but there's a lot going on with this patient from what we can see, let alone, like you said, what we can't see. So we're trying to figure out all that. Um, and this is also if the helicopter is even going to be able to fly at all. And on top of all this, I figured I'd be driving in anyways. And there's a lot of people in the area of this already too small back of the ambulance. So, the guy, our patient's already trauma naked. They didn't see a wallet. So, there's not much I'd be doing, whatever. I'm also waiting on this the additional third unit for our, our t- patient that was T bone. So, we even got a second patient that nobody's even checked up on yet. So, as I'm getting closer to this guy's car, I see like a few flower petals on the ground and it felt weird, but wasn't pr- my primary focus. Check on the other patient, they're fine. They still want an ambulance, whatever. I took pictures of the car and started to crawl around the driver's seat where this guy's his brain and blood is splattered on the seats. But it's the only access point. And then I see like the explosion of flower petals on this guy's floorboards and all these like flower stems. And mind you, these weren't the cheap ones. My dude had splurged. So I dug around the flower petals, found his wallet, and the little, this little card caught my eye at the last second. So I just grabbed it, shoved it in my pocket. Wasn't really what my focus was on either. I ran back, and uh, my partner said that the flight team declined the flight due to weather, and it started to sprinkle. Just as I'm about to jump up front, the guy started to seize, which indicates that he's got a really bad head injury um, on top of whatever else is going on. And in the meantime that I'm waiting in these flower petals, uh, the team, they established some lines. They had it out with the flight team. They're starting to try to wrap up his head, get everything set up, bag him so they can intubate. But he started to seize. So I jump in the back. I'm helping my partner draw things up. I'm helping him start giving him meds, you know, calming down the seizure because it's only going to make things worse. And I look down. And it hit me for the first time, like this guy's brain is spilling onto the stretcher. There's blood coming from his ears. His pupils are completely opposite in size. He's just he's hes not looking good. And I look at my partner and I've got that deer in the headlight stare as I'm realizing the severity and how serious everything is. And my partner just looks at me and he's like, hey, we need to go. We need to go because I'm still standing there awestruck. So the second unit the medic wrote in with us um, and we got about halfway to the hospital. And I hear one of the medics from the back say something about his blood pressure's dropping. And then I hear, Hey, why is it getting harder to bag? Did his tube move? What's the BP now? And then it's that typical, we just lost a pulse, start CPR. And we are still 15 minutes out from the ER that we're headed to. So Marty already running code lights and sirens what not. But now I'm speeding as much as I can with the slick roads and it's pouring down rain. They're doing bilateral needle decompressions in the back, throw in the kitchen sink for this guy. And it's all while it's that unspoken feeling we all had that he's not going to make this. I mean, you we do everything we can. We don't get to decide a person's fate, but sometimes you you just know. So we got to the ER. They worked him for a little bit, but they pretty much immediately called it, and it was understandable. He had injuries incompatible with life. He was already declined before we even got to the e r surgery's not gonna help him it's not he's just he's at that point so after we all got ice cream, we talked the call over, and that was it like we Because we were there and we saw how bad it was before we even tried to help, we all, you just know. Um, So we got back to the station. I planned on calling it a night. I got in the bed. I was just about to fall asleep. And I felt that little card that I shoved in my pocket, like, stab me in the leg. And I pulled it out. And I read the card. And it said, I'm sorry I haven't been the man you need, but I'm going to work on being the better husband you deserve. And at the time, my husband and I were in the midst of a rough fight, and I don't, I don't even remember why we were fighting, but it was so much that when I left that morning for that shift, I didn't even tell him bye. And at this point, it's close to 1 a.m., so I just called him crying, and he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on, but I just told him, hey, I don't like you right now, but I got to tell you that I love you. <sighs> And I found this man's obituary and I would randomly search the wife on social media just to, in a very far away way, check on her. Um, I We never met her. I didn't even come in contact with her, but, you know, it's it's somebody. So I would pass by that area, search the wife on social media. And then after a few months that I'd still had this card, I went ahead and I messaged her and I told her I didn't know if it was ethical or not. but. I sent her a picture of that card, and she told me that for the past month since the wreck, not only could she not sleep at night, but she couldn't get past the feeling that all that they went through, all those feelings were unresolved. She had no clue where our patient had even driven to or that he'd even gotten the flowers at all. And she told me that she hadn't slept and all of this stuff. And the last words she said to him were, just leave and never come back. But after I'd reached out to her and told her about the flowers and the card, she basically felt like she hadn't killed him. So that call affected me on the personal level, but I just mailed her the card and kind of moved on. I never talked about it, never really felt a big attachment to it until a week later-ish after I'd sent the card. I was talking to the medic that i had worked with previously. We're cleaning out the back of an ambulance after a call. And I brought up the call to kind of address what I had found from the wife, um, talk it over with him. But he said, quote, yeah, man, it was a good call. The patient tried, though. We did some cool stuff, but he probably would have been better off not even living. It had to be painful to have ramen noodle brains in the last moments of your life. As much as I love the dark humor and the terrible things we hear and say and our coping mechanism, if you will, this is the thing that got me. And I just, dude, I looked at him and I was like, hey, watch yourself. He had a name. He had a wife. He was just trying to go home and apologize to his wife, and he never even got that decency. So for me, this call, it's the fact that these patients, no matter how, quote, good the call is, all the cool things about our job, the tools, the tricks, all the things we get to do, at the end of the day, that patient still had a name. He still had a story. And we meet so many people in a single shift, and after a while, it does accumulate. But we may be the only first responder someone sees, let alone the last person they see or the last voice they hear on this earth. These people are more than just another report. They have names. They have stories. They have lives. And each and every one of them, and the families we encounter, they deserve just as much compassion and respect. And whether it's a traumatic arrest or a psych call or some little mall gets lonely at three o'clock in the morning because she's been a widow for five years and she just needs somebody, these are people's lives in our hands, in our ambulances, and they're more than just a patient. Like, these are someone's people there's someone someone that's it
0: if you enjoyed this podcast please take a minute and give us a five star review on apple podcasts or whichever podcast platform you enjoy stories from the road is a brown dogs media group production this one man show is written edited and produced by phil klein show notes are written by jennifer Rowick. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this show, please visit storiesfromtheroadpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.